0: Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I am thrilled, genuinely thrilled to have Simon Kinberg here. Simon is one of the most successful writers and one of the most successful producers in the game. Among the movies that he's written, his first screenplay is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, And, uh, he also wrote the first Sherlock Holmes. I mean, not the first Sherlock Holmes ever, but the first Sherlock Holmes that most of you are aware of, uh, as opposed to, uh, triple X state of the union. Um, so many X-Men movies. And, uh, as a producer, he is equally or even more successful. I, I can't even rattle off all of the movies, but just throw the Deadpool movies in on top uh plus uh the martian and many uh television shows including designated survivor and now uh, simon has just written directed and produced uh the three five five which is out in theaters uh right now which is you know you can't go anywhere without seeing a billboard for it i watched it it is a total thrill ride and if you like simon's movies this one is right down the pipe for you so uh, it's really important. I love when a, someone who's a screenwriter and producer actually, you know, it's your second movie you direct to direct something. And uh, I really think that uh, it makes sense within the canon of your work and that people should go out and see its great performances, some incredible actors. Simon, welcome to the moment.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Excited to be here. I am a fan of um, the moment. So um, I'm a little nervous.
0: No, don't no nerves. We're gonna be great. Because and look, I I I mean, you know this, but I gotta tell the the people listening, because the way I came to be aware of you is so funny to me because I was living in this little building. Maybe I was like five years into my career. So my career was nascent. You know, I was like 33, and this guy who lived in my building was like an uncle of yours or like your uncle's close friend or something. And he pulled in the elevator. He's like, you're a, you're a, you write screenplay. Right. And I was like, yeah, I, I, uh, right. Uh, he was from Alabama. That's why I'm using an accent, but, uh, he goes, uh, you're a Screenplay. And, uh, uh, he goes like my nephew or great nephew, whatever he's starting out and it's going great for him. He's exploding. And I was like, well, that's great. Um, and he goes, yeah, he's like, tw- like, you know, 25. Uh, would you talk to him? And I go, sure. I'll talk to him. He goes, listen, he has a huge career already, but he's, he just graduated Columbia. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll talk to this kid. Cause you know, this guy lived in my building. And I remember getting on the phone with you mm-hmm. and I'm like, what's going on with you? And you said, I just sold my first script and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are working on it. And suddenly I was like, well, can you give me advice then? <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah. and then it turned out we had the same lawyer who's been both of our lawyers mm-hmm. for our entire career. Yeah, who I love Carl. And yeah. um, I, I so I, I wanted to ask you like you were so successful so young at this. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? And I don't mean like you know how did how did the fortune smile on you? I guess what I mean is how did you have that level of focus at such a young age and. What was the origin point for you of wanting to write and make movies?
1: Well, I didn't have that much of a focus at too young an age, to be honest with you. Um, When I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s in Los Angeles. Um, And my father worked kind of in and around the film industry, but ultimately was a film professor. All All my friends, parents worked in the film industry and all I saw of the film industry was drug abuse yeah worse just unhappiness you know like self-mutilation I I just just like I know I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life but I know I'm never gonna be like these motherfuckers so um I uh I I wanted to be a writer from a very young age that I did know um and I loved writing from like a very very young age I wrote like little one page ridiculous stories about spiders when I was like, you know, in elementary school. Um, and then going into high school, I started writing short stories and actually poems, which I'm sure I'd be humiliated by now, but um, and I then, mean, if you
0: want to, you know, if you want to read some of your poems, on the podcast, <laughs> uh, I they, think
1: we'd all, we'd
0: yeah. all love to. Love yeah, to
1: hear. Th- th- thankfully, I think they've, they're long gone with the Commodore 64 that they were um, <laughs> made, uh, written on. Um, but so you, but, you were uh, writing,
0: you were writing, po- you were writing a lot. For oh, yourself, anyway. but for yourself, really.
1: Yeah, entirely for myself, and then, and then, and then for school in high school. You know, occasionally there were creative writing um, assignments, or uh, I would turn, um, you know, uh, an essay into essentially a creative writing piece. Um, yes. I had a lot of I had a lot of great teachers in high school, English teachers who were incredibly supportive of that, which was very lucky, and and. Um, and so I, I, I was really convinced I was going to be the great, next great American novelist. I was obsessed with, um, what were you reading? Richard, were you reading? Fitzgerald, all those guys, like, uh, the, the, you know, really honestly, this, the, the simple answer is that the, all of those greats from the twenties, like, and not just Americans like Camus and, uh, and but primarily Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Faulkner, John Dos Passos uh you know Thomas uh, that that whole group now, of, Harold Bloom would have loved you the old canon you were reading the old yeah, canon Yeah, I was 100% reading the old canon. This was a, this was a long time ago.
0: Um Yeah, me too. By the way, I mean obviously me too. You know, I was reading that stuff uh that stuff too and um yeah, I've come back to Camus in such a big way lately. He's so mm-hmm. apt right now. That yeah. It's cr- crazy. So you're reading the canon.
1: Yeah. I'm reading the canon um, and I I, I really liked, I found myself loving um, writing short stories, writing prose. And when I went to college, I went to college um, uh, and I went to Brown that had no core curriculum. And so I only took English and creative writing classes. Literally 30 out of 32 classes I took were in those departments. Um, None of it was film. Um, I stayed as far away as humanly possible from film Uh, and I didn't even take classes that were like, you know, adaptations of books into film that even that felt like it was going to, um, it was toxic. Um, and I Fascinating. got, out of, I got out of college and I started, continued to write short stories and worked in the publishing world, thinking that somehow that would get me a little bit closer for a couple of years in New York. And I, you know, this is before really the explosion of, um, you know, online journals and places you could publish stuff. And so there weren't a whole lot of, you know, weren't a whole lot of uh, avenues. And the few that I tried my way um, down, they would read my work and whether it was good, bad, or otherwise their response, they almost always said, you know, this reads like a movie. Uh, It feels like a movie, a lot of dialogue. It moves quickly. Um, It just... And, you know, some people liked it and some people hate it. Sometimes that was, you know, uh, an insult and sometimes it was a kind of backhanded compliment. Um, but I had to accept at some point, you know, when people tell you're drunk, you're drunk, sit down, um, that maybe maybe there was something that had that had gotten inside my skin or was already in my dna and i did love movies growing up so i was I, gonna say yeah were you watching a ton of yeah. films then was yeah. that sort of like
0: you'd read a book and that did one thing but were you then just drawn to i mean i've read about this about you and just knowing your work i'm sure that spielberg and yeah. those those films must have done something to you and i'm sure you and G, there's a it seems to me there is a kindred spirit between you and jj and that you guys are both kids of a certain generation who happened to find this popular form in a certain way very early. Yeah. I'm wondering if those same kind of movies, move, you know, affected you.
1: A, th- a thousand percent. I mean, I, I feel like I grew up in the, t- you know, there's the 70s. That was the, the, the sort of, in, in many ways, you could argue the, um the greatest time in American cinema um, for a certain type of movie. And then the 80s, which was the greatest type in Amer- time in American cinema for a different kind of movie that were pop movies, genre right. movies. And so um, I was, I grew up, yes, on Spielberg, obviously Star Wars was, a, was, was massive for me, but also think movies like, you know, the Jim, the Jim Cameron movies. Um, right. uh, the uh, Lethal Weapon movies, the Die Hard movies, 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop. They, they were, it was, it was a time where there were really great, character-driven, fun, poppy genre movies. And that's all I went to go see in the cinemas and I, and I, and I love them. And I, I, you know, I saw Indiana Jones probably, I don't know, eight, 10, I lived in, in Westwood, which was right by Westwood village that had like the most movie theaters in Los Angeles. And so I would just bounce from movie theater to movie theater. Um, oh, that's awesome. I would go back right. over. Oh, I'd ride my skateboard and go back over and over again to see Indiana Jones or see die hard three. It, d- it didn't make a difference. Like I, I, you know, I really, um, I, I love that stuff. And it definitely was a huge part of, um, my are childhood. you talking about raiders or temple uh oh i'm talking you know. about temple of i was too yeah I,
0: right because raiders I, was my childhood raiders yeah i was
1: too young so it was it was like literally you know and i and i had to wait to see raiders because it was like you know wasn't easy it was like Betamax and vcrs and it's not like it was it's not like it was it is today you know the windows were different um no
0: it, it, yeah so you're watching those movies. it's interesting to me i think about um the people like I, I was thinking about Ryan Johnson and and who took what, what seems, feels to me like the more typical path, even though it was your generation of my generation, which is the more indie route because of the movies that I like the starting sort of to the left of the dial and then working your way um, to the center. I'm, I'm not talking left right politically, but, you I know, le- left of the dial and then moving huh. toward the, the, the big popular entertainments. Yeah. Uh, But it feels like you went a different, you went a different way. Like you never dabbled in the indie
1: shit early on, right? (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I, no, I did not early on um, for sure. Uh, There was not an art house cinema that I would, you know, disappear into. I was going to the equivalent now of multiplex though there were no multiplexes. And I was going over and over and over again to see, you know, Beverly Hills Cop 2. I, I, it was not. I, I did not have a discerning, um, uh, you know, I was not, I, I loved movies, but that is probably another definition of a cinephile. Um, That's really and, fascinating. No, I'm, it's a fascinating right. distinction for sure. And so, you know, I wasn't reading to cinema. Um, You know, it was, it, I, I eventually did and watched those movies because um, w- when I was in New York and everybody was saying, you're writing screenplays, I was like, you know, I should, I'd never read a screenplay. So I went to the, um, the New York library has a performing arts annex at Lincoln center. And, um, in the annex, there's an archive of screenplays. Um, and there, many of them are screenplays. that were actually like, um, uh, donated or given by actors or directors. Like so they had notes people. in them and stuff. They have notes in them, dude. So they like literally have like Sidney Lumet had, has a bunch of his scripts. I, mean, I don't know if they still exist, but back then, it, 20 years ago or more, it was, it, you know, his, his notes in it. Al Pacino yeah. had and some, you, And you'd sit in this tiny little archive room. You weren't allowed to um, bring a pen in. They gave you a pencil and their pad, and you could read it. And then you had to walk away and leave and you could leave with the, you know, pieces of with paper. With your
0: pieces of paper. That's so okay. great.
1: Yeah. And so I I remember I, I read and um, I don't remember what the script was. I just remember reading um a couple on my first day there. And I was like, this format is everything. This <sighs> it just format, made sense to you. It just made sense. I was like, you know what this, the movement of it, the momentum of it, the, um, the way it even lays out on the page. That's like half poetry, half theater, you know, some prose. Huh. Um, I just, it just, it, it felt like suddenly I had discovered my first language, um, oh, and so, so cool. I, I was like, this is, this is, I guess what I've got to do.
0: What were you feeling like emotionally, Simon? Because, like you said, you know, now in, in the in the rear view of all the success it's easy to sort of go, well, people would read my stuff. There weren't a lot of outlets, but you came to New York to be a, a writer. Yeah. So, and even though, and, and sometimes people think that when someone becomes successful young, that those lost the years before must've been easy. But I, I think like sometimes it's that it's so painful that you're like, no, fuck this, it has to change. So I wonder which it was for you, meaning those years before Columbia, when you went to grad school, when, when you were, writing and it wasn't quite connecting did you take it in stride i mean if it sounds like you know it's a very paul oster kind of a character thing to go to that library and yeah. it. it feels like a paul oster yeah. novel kind of
1: yeah i like, love paul oster that's right yeah.
0: well yeah. Our, yes because yeah no people don't really read him now but like they should read those early books yeah but um i loved them so 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 much i think that's why i love murakami so much because he's like if paul oster had heart <laughs> like, like to me like I'm um, on the page i'm sure paul has art in real life but no like what was it like emotionally what was the terrain like emotionally you know when you were writing and it wasn't quite connecting
1: i think i was so young that it felt romantic ah sure you know like i, I think when, if you get into your thirties and that's still happening and you're a decade plus into it, it, it obviously, you know, it's a different feeling, but a year or two out of college and you're living in New York for the first time. And I'm even getting letters back or phone calls, back, it just, it all felt like this is a, this is a, a romantic chapter of my life and not thinking I would ultimately have success, but just like, no matter where I end up in life, this is the romantic chapter where I tried to be a writer in New York city.
0: It's oh, so amazing that you were able to sort of tell yourself that as you were what a, I'm always looking for, like, what empowers people to do mm. this crazy thing yeah. and seeing yourself in a way, seeing the narrative like was helpful to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. And, and, and I also think that, you know, worshiping at the altar of a lot of these authors that we were talking about before in this sort of like old white uh, 1920s American canon, um, they had early success, but some of them didn't. And yes. and so and even early success is defined. I mean, Fitzgerald had it at Princeton, but some of them had it in their mid-20s. And so there was yeah. an aspect of it to me that I was like, I'm I'm in my I'm in this phase Yeah, now. movable fee. You were living movable feast to set. Yeah, a so thousand and, and and I I it's funny that you mentioned that, or it's obvious that you mentioned that, I suppose, in some ways, because it's that is the um the Bible for um uh sort of writers that fantasize about the romance of that period. And I felt like New York in that moment for me, not that I had other friends who were successful writers or even wanted to be writers, but that moment in New York, as a kid that grew up in Los Angeles, that's essentially a collection of suburbs and I'd never lived in a real city before. um, It just had the, the magic um, that Movable Feast, you know, makes Paris out to be.
0: Yes, no, that makes complete sense to me. Uh, what, What were you working a job or no
1: job? I was working in publishing. I was working as oh. basically like in a paid intern at the uh, Penguin Viking Books.
0: And so you were reading, you were like reading stuff and then and like doing whatever administrative office crap they needed you to do.
1: Mostly administrative office crap. And when I was reading stuff, it was, I mean, both for pleasure, but in my professional capacity, it was to like copy edit things to make sure there weren't typos.
0: Yeah, of course. And so you go and you have this sort of moment of oh this form makes sense. Now I, I, let's step back for a second. So your childhood West Coast. Your dad
1: was a film professor. What did he teach? Like what was he taught what, a little bit of everything. When he was before he he had me and my younger brother. He had me um, fairly late in life. He had me when he was forty nine or fifty. Um, he had a, he had worked in film as a writer and a producer. Um, uh, with what he would define as not a lot of success. And I think objectively is not a ton of success, but, but, you know, had a sort of peripatetic job doing it. Um, and then, uh, but by the time he had me and I was certainly growing up, he had given up on the film industry, which is also something that made me not want to work in the film industry. Right. Cause I felt like it kind of, it, it chewed and spat out my dad.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, he, he, so he taught a little bit of everything. Uh, he started teaching at Cal State Northridge and then eventually he was teaching at USC, I think primarily about producing. Um, I sat in on a few of his classes, but they were classes where it was kind of an all encompassing intro to, Here's what it takes to make a movie, and he'd have a lot of speakers come and talk.
0: And would you guys watch movies together, yeah. or uh, and 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 did he wa- like the popular kind of movies, or was he watching um, art films?
1: He was. He, what's interesting is the answer is both, but in the same movie. Meaning, he was watching Billy Wilder movies. Yeah, and he was showing me because he he yeah, it's a guy who fought in World War II, came back, you know, worked with. John Houseman as a producer, was around. Ernest Lehman was a good friend of wow. his. Um, uh, you know, he was around that that era of filmmaking. Uh, Robert Wise was at my at my bar mitzvah. Um, right. You know. Um, so, but he was he didn't have the success of those guys. He just was like a really smart, charming uh, dude. Um, and uh, and so he would show me, and this this is something that I think ultimately is. Part of the reason why it was inevitable or inescapable for me to work in film is that what, early on, when they were like Betamaxes with the size of a couch, um, he would he would show me those old movies, and he oh, would pause. Scary. And this is even before he was—I think it was before he was actually a teacher as a job. He would. This is the way he was like. He would he would interact, communicate, sort of connect with his son, who was game for it. In me. Uh, he would pause them and he would talk about the movie. And so That's he was awesome. like teaching this class, you know, in the same way that like I, with my sons, we talk about sports. So I'd be like, you don't know what my, you think LeBron James is this, let me tell you about Michael Jordan, you know? And, and so he would do the same thing with film. Um, and so, yeah, he was, when you ask classic or, or, you know, high art or, or, or populist art, um, he answers both right because those movies are considered a high art now but at the time they were made as popular art yeah
0: no that's fantastic i completely understand that yeah well though because back then it was like um those guys uh their their view william wyler and billy wilder and uh you know michael cortez like back then they were under the misapprehension that you know if you wanted it to be popular, you had to make it good. I mean, that's just what they right, were operating. They were right, just operating right. under that assumption. Right. Uh, so they were like, well, we better make this thing good, you mm-hmm. know, which was novel for you. Know, like your dad showing it. To you, it was very different than like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop was the best of those movies. Yes, that yeah. was a perfectly made. That's a perfectly made film. Yeah. You know, there were ten movies in the cineplexes that weekend and the weekend after that were garbage. Absolutely.
1: Um, and uh, and, could, know, and I could discern between them. I mean, I, I will say as a kid, you know, I would tell you that, you know, my favorite movies and uh, JJ is a friend and we've worked together as well. Um, a few times and we, we do have similar taste, and that taste is similar to 99.9% of the world, which is, we know the Raiders of the Lost Ark is better than King Solomon's minds of that era.
0: Right? You know? Yes. No, that makes complete sense to me. Uh, yeah, because you would get, we would all get suckered into going to see, you know, the Roy Scheider helicopter movie. <laughs> yes. So we'd yeah. be so sad when we walked out of there because it was a Friday night. There were n- people don't understand. There were no other options. Like, that was your Friday. Yeah. And, you know, uh, if you went to see Blue, whatever that movie was called, that yep. you would Blue walk, Blue Thunder, you'd walk out of there kind of sad um, yeah. that it was a missed opportunity. Uh, but, but when Back to the Future would show up or... Yeah or Terminator or Terminator or Beverly Hills Cop yeah. like the first Beverly Hills Cop I mean I saw that th- you know that's I saw that yeah. 3 nights in a row same yeah. with back to the future 3 nights in a row but I somehow in co- you know my freshman year of college I got turned out to art movies and it right. like just happened that way like mm-hmm. I walked to a movie theater I think my maybe my sophomore year she's got to have it and raising mm-hmm. Arizona came out wow and they just spun my head both yeah. those movies and took me that it just was not uh, you know I was a kid who went to schwarzenegger and stallone movies that's sure. what i was into and eddie murphy movies but then yeah. something else happened to me at college which yeah. took me you know um for whatever reason i was like i like this better yeah to my professional detriment probably but that's like <laughs> what i know it's just what i liked more you know it's just what i liked more yeah i get it
1: uh, And I also, think, again i think that's an i think some of that is an era thing right like i think For me, She's Gotta Have It wasn't out in the movie theaters when I was in high school. And so in my formative and even early college formative years, not that they weren't great, obviously, the the greatest, you know, um, uh, movies from the 70s that I could have been drawing from, but they just weren't in the in the in the theaters in Westwood when I was a kid.
0: Right. And and Quentin probably came in an interesting fact because, you know, Quentin was the Mm. final nail for me, 94, but I was working right. I was 30 or 20. 28, when that movie came, when Pulp Fiction came out, and it was this combination, like everything I loved, right? Both yeah. worlds, yeah. Beverly Hills Cop and fucking the Coen brothers smashed together or something. Yeah. And it was like, that's my future. Mm-hmm. But for you, it was these big sort of spectacle
1: movies in a way. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. and it, it, and And again, like looking back at the big spectacle movies like Casablanca is a big spectacle movie um yes of its, of its moment right um and considered one of the greatest american movies of all time. yeah michael
0: cortez right yeah right, right. exactly
1: you mentioned some, so it, you know it, it was i didn't i didn't see a big difference between the movies i was watching that were classic american cinema um at home with my dad and the movies i was watching with my buddies down the street um that ultimately became some version of classic American. Oh. Cinema, but, but didn't have that goal or ambition
0: This is so fascinating in a great way. Uh, But the only question I have is like, why you didn't become a director sooner? Because when I think about it, for me, all the guys I'm talking about, men and women, like Nicole Center too, those kind of things, they were all really writers. Mm -hmm. Like they were really, and Mamet, right? Mamet's the biggest one for me, they were all writers. And so for me, it was like, well, I want to make the words sound like that. Mm -hmm. For you, this is all cinema. It's truly cinema that hit you. And so what made it, what, what? Why was it like? I'm going to start on the page as opposed to because right? These are those are cinematic experiences. You're talking about. Yeah. Kazden was the greatest screenwriter, but those were Spielberg movies. They weren't Lawrence yeah. Kazden movies. In a
1: way. Yeah, yeah. Though Larry obviously directed some amazing movies. He yes. Had one stretch where he also you know he did Body Heat and and no
0: Silverado is did- a huge one for me. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they're but they're not they're not the same as the big spectacle ones that he did and continues to do. Um uh the reason i didn't direct i want to direct for a long long time and i I didn't i didn't hide i wasn't you know waiting for my moment i just actively wasn't interested in it um is because i do think that my and i continue to think that my first love and my first um i guess uh voice is as a writer yes Uh, and, and 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 i you know because like you said i did luck into having early success with Mr. And Mrs. Smith. No, you wrote a perfect script, dude.
0: No, I want to uh, say that like, that's the thing. Mr. And Mrs. Smith is perfectly That is a perfectly executed spec script for the
1: time in uh, the world. Right. I mean, perfect. Right. Thank you. So Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, it, it is. My, you know, it was my great. film school really. thesis. So it was like, I, it was, I, I think part of the joy of that movie for me. And there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of, it was a hard movie to make and, only because it just took on, kept going, the shooting on and on and on. Because um, that's part of Doug Lyman, the director's process. And I've worked with him many times, he's a close friend, I can say that, but like he calls it a workshop process. I think studios call it like, you know, budgeted an extra 50% um, for reshoots. Uh, but um, having said that, at any rate, the, you know, it was, I wrote it really out of just like pure love. Um, because it was my thesis in film school. So like kind of who cares? Um, I wasn't trying to like make my way into Hollywood. Um, uh, And it also, like a lot of my movies, and this is probably, and I think this is, I do think this is the secret to really good genre movies. It came from a very personal place. And the movies over my career, certainly as a writer, that I can point to that were the best writing I've done are something really intimate and personal, um, blown up to big movie scale genre size. And- Oh, that it, makes total sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and so Smith was like, I was in a relationship, I was 23, I think, four when I wrote that. Right. And I was in a relationship um, with uh, um, a woman and yeah, a woman and she uh, said, you know, you're really good in this relationship, when we have conflict, like you're really good, really like locked in, but when, when things are, you know, stable, you're, you're kind of somewhere else. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's definitely true for me. Um, it was at the time, uh, I was a kid. And, and also, but then I walked away from it, which probably doubly proved her point, which is I was like, oh, that's a kind of an interesting idea for a love story. Right. Like a, a couple who actually conflict doesn't break them up. It brings them together. Um, and so that, so, so that really personal, intimate thing that, you know, with another kind of filmmaker, another kind of writer could have been, you know, Kramer versus Kramer or, you know, choose your marriage but, story. But it
0: makes total sense also from your, like the antecedents, because that movie is like, uh, shop around the corner with Hitchcock mm-hmm. and with, uh, it's like a, it is like Ernst Lubitsch, Billy Wilder, Hitchcock and, and whatever kind of, he, you know, uh, Paul Verhoeven or something, right? I mean, it (laughs) is like a perfect kind of combo of all of those, all of those things. Like, you know, to 10, amped up to 10 or 11. Yeah. How did film school people respond to a poppy thing like that? Cause I know like my, my wife, uh, was it, got her master's from Columbia and in the creative writing program. And she's taught, like, I, I know what a lot of that stuff can be like. And, um, and Beth Schachter, who's our, our, was there when when you were teaching, she's a partner of Dave and mine on our shows, runs the shows with us now. And, and, uh, like I can imagine what the sensibility was at that place as you're writing pop, you know a popcorn movie like you say with heart and a lot at the center yeah. of it but like a perfectly executed popcorn movie i could see if they that they might have shat on you
1: so for sure because also you know columbia more than well more than usc even nyu was known at least among those schools as the sort of artsier school you know like the poppiest filmmaker that had come out of there was jim Mangold, and at the time jim was making Heavy and then Copland, sure. Exactly, and yeah. even Copland was like kind of the betrayal of the Jim, <laughs> you know?
0: His three and a half hour study of race in New Jersey,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And by the way, and now, now Jim and I were ended up working on Logan, of course. years later, and he's off, to bring our conversation full circle, he's off doing the new Indiana Jones movie. Yes. Um, but at any anyway, um, at the time, yes, Columbia was this place that was this like, you know, conservatory for great cinema. They were gonna, and then and, and they were trying to find their, to, to be the equivalent of NYU, their Scorsese or Spike Lee. Um, and I was certainly not that. Um, I was, I was um, all of the reasons why, and maybe ultimately, um, uh, you know, uh, these, these students weren't gonna get jobs. That I, I represented the machine, right? That like right. Was, was, yeah. was was holding. I was the man. I was holding them down with my sensibility. And I, I like I I would read um, uh, or w- w- rather in, in in class, everyone's assignment would be read other people's work. And I was writing other commercial stuff when I was there. But when I was writing mm-hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and students were reading it, they were like. I, there's no heart in this, there's no, emo, there's no, what's this about? And I, for me, it was about, you know, not just that personal thing I told you, but it's about a whole host of different things. Um, and, you know, when you mentioned those old classic movies, and I do think this is something that is in the antecedents of what we were talking about before, there, there was this genre of like comedies of remarriage. You know, like people who had been together. They've Philadelphia story. Yeah, I was going to say Philadelphia um, story on Friday. Perfect, yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, I I kept trying to like grab a foothold with my fellow students and say, they "Look at these movies from the past. It's it's the Thin Man of 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 our of our, of our century, our generation." Didn't work. Um, so they loathed the work, and then. Um, I think probably load the fact that um, uh, it ended up becoming a movie and, and a success. Did it enter okay,
0: but how did it, so for people listening to this, this is really important. Because again, looking back now, it's very easy to tell that story is of, but obviously I was right, because I became Simon Kinberg. Mm-hmm. But I have to think, just knowing people who've got, you know having watched Storytelling by Todd Solentz, I mean, I have to think that when, I don't know if you ever saw that, but his thing of a grad school writing program is yeah. just, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have to think that part of you at, had moments of wondering if you were doing what you thought you were doing or not,
1: meaning if it was good or not, or did you not? Did you know? I didn't worry if um, I was accomplishing what I was attempting because in many ways, I knew that they were right, which is oh. to say their sensibility. Was totally different than my sensibility and um what everything they were saying about it which is that it was a big popcorn like you know it, it's not the only thing that that wasn't true is when they would say there's no right personal stories right things you know and i and, and my response would be what i told you was personal and the other response is what I know are the emotions these characters are going through. I don't know what it is to be a spy or an assassin. And obviously the movie is a metaphor and over the top and not literal anyway. But um, uh, I think, so I, it, didn't, it didn't make me question my um, choices or talent or any of that. Um, it was lonely. That, wow. that, that, that I will say, the reality of being in a school where everybody is going in one direction yes, and you are going in another um, is lonely. And the, the one thing that kept it from being a real bummer was that I had two, um, two or three really, but two screenwriting professors who really believed in me and were amazing mentors. And so they were the ones saying, I get that you're doing something very different than the rest of the school. And in some ways it's different than the pedagogy or the sort of, like identity, uh, of this program, but, um, it, it, it's authentic to you. So keep doing it.
0: Who were those professors?
1: Um, Jamal Joseph, uh, who then ended up running the program for a while and, uh, Malia Scotch Marmo. And you, you then were taught there, didn't you for a moment or did, um, no, no I, no, I went back a few times to do like, Oh, to speak. Yeah. or to do like a, what they would call Probably not call now, but could call a master class for um, you know a week or two. Got it. That makes sense to me. And and so as you finish that
0: script, and and you have it now and it's done,
1: what do you do to get it out into the world? Um, Again, I got very lucky, um, and and had the the third mentor that was in my mind as I went from two to three was not a screenwriter. Um, it was a guy named Ira Deutschman, who I'm sure, you know, Of course,
0: Ira is amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. And Ira was, was the founder of fine line features. Um, and, uh, also ran the school for a while. He, I took a producing class and Ira was, um, the, uh, um, the professor. That's an amazing
0: class. I've spoken to that class like five times. That's, That's a fantastic
1: class. Yeah, it was, amazing. It was incredible. Yeah. And actually, I think my real interest in producing came from that class, um, uh, I think it was a requirement to pay something in the producing at the time. And, um, so, and I took it and I really loved it. Uh, and he, the final assignment in that class was to pitch something that you'd written. And I wrote a script in my first year of film school, Mr. Mrs. was My second, um, I wrote a script in my first year. I pitched that script. He l- liked the sound of it, said, can I read it? He did. He, um, optioned it, uh, and sent it out to Hollywood. And that's how I got Carl, our lawyer. That's how I met CAA, um, who are still my agents, um, a manager. That's how I came out to Hollywood for the first time and um, met a bunch of junior executives who then ended up becoming, because that was 20 years ago, some of those junior executives now run studios, Scott Stuber, uh, Emma Watts. uh, Of course. I mean, all these people. Um, uh, And so, Toby I'm, too, right? Toby was a junior. Toby was a yeah. music,
0: uh, a music and guy yeah yeah thing, a and who's now runs Wartons. yeah
1: yeah um no it's, right. it's wild to, to 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 like watch s- certain folks rise and then watch others not but um at any rate, uh because of IRA is the short answer, um he got my work out to Hollywood, and Mr. And mrs. Smith uh was sort of sent out the same way through IRA, and I was actually bouncing back and forth between flying back and forth on like a. I don't even remember what dime I was using. Um, I know, I remember I was staying in motels in Los Angeles. Um, I was going back and forth between LA and New York um, uh, to just like do meetings. Um, right. And, and, then, and then Mr. Smith was uh, read by a lot of people. And the, the, the story of Mr. Smith is it was actually passed on by every single studio. My favorite stories. That,
0: uh, me too, you know, my first round was passed on by everybody. Too, really? So. I didn't know
1: that. I didn't oh, know that. Oh, yeah, I've re- yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. All every agency passed on it, and
1: wow, yeah. wow, um, that's that's even more surprising to me somehow because no. the right is so extraordinary. And, and, Thank and you, but no. fucking incredible. Thank you. No, everyone passed.
0: Uh, it's a funny. I'll, I've told it on the pod. I won't tell it now. I'll tell you sometime at dinner. But uh so I understand it. I oh my god, they all passed on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That's fucking insane. Yeah. So how did Akiva get it, or whoever?
1: Akiva, and, and it, Akiva was the one person. There were many Akiva were Goldsman. Many, yeah. Akiva Goldsman, who was who then became my father figure mentor, continues to be um, an extraordinary writer.
0: Legendary figure, great, amazing guy. Yeah, great
1: guy. Um, uh, There were producers that were interested in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but no studios buyers, right? So um, producers are taken into studios and all the studios pass for various reasons. Uh, And and I would say that made me question, is this the right path Uh more than, Students saying, "Why are you making commercial movies?" Oh no, right. Because if
0: the commercial industry then passes, right. that's hurt. I mean, yes. then you're like, "Oh fuck, I'm, maybe I am crazy."
1: Yes, that that at that point I was like, because because a lot of the people that passed, there were various different reasons, but but I do remember one one thing that was fairly consistent was, "What is this tone? The tone uh-huh. of this is, feels bizarre," um, because it is a little bit bizarre, right? Um, the tone was the future of fucking commercial
0: Hollywood, but they just didn't know it at the time. I mean, well, that's, I appreciate
1: the, that. that's very. Well, kind. That's what um,
0: happened. No, that's just what happened factually. Like now, right? That's yeah. what happened. Um, and they, it, it's not surprising, weirdly, right? The way Hollywood works that that the the, the big part of the industry like, had trouble recognizing that you'd taken this and just canted it
1: a little bit, right?
0: Yes. So they didn't understand that canting.
1: Yeah. No, they didn't. They really didn't. And actually, that's a beautiful way of describing it. It's some. It's something that Doug Lyman, when he was directing the movie, would talk a lot, a lot about in terms of literally the camera. I'm getting to that a little bit. But um, yeah. So I, um, Akiva was one of the was the producer who called me after all of the passes and said, "Keep your chin up. Um, do a little more work. I think we're gonna. I think it's. We'll find a home for it." Oh, that's great. Cool. And, and, belie- and I believed him because he was Akiva Goldsman. I think he'd just won this, the, the Oscar for A Beautiful Mind or was just about to um, as a writer. Uh, and it's just a lovely, lovely, um, uh, generous dude. And so, um, and, and he was right. We sold it to a company that was ultimately became um, a Summit that then got bought by Lionsgate, but they were just getting into film production. They were a foreign sales entity. Um, they we sold it to them for writer's guild minimum um and then the head of summit a guy named patrick waxberger um was friends with arnon mulchon right that's who flipped it to regency exactly and so it flipped to regency and then it became a regency movie and arnon um, bankrolled the whole thing. Fox distributed it, but Fox didn't. Before
0: didn't... Brad, was Brad on at this point or Brad hadn't signed on yet? Oh, no, 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 no.
1: I, I don't think we would have had any problem uh, finding a home uh, with any no, no, of...
0: no, I'm saying when Arnon, but when Arnon came, and I understand. When Arnon
1: came, um, no, it was before Brad, but, but it was not before the first actor who read it who signed on, was, which was neither Brad nor Angelina, it was Nicole Kidman. Oh, um, Nicole read it, loved it, was an incredible champion of it, Um, Got it to John Woo, who was directing her then husband, Tom Cruise, in Mission Impossible 2. John Woo was going to direct it. We all spend a lot of time together reworking the script, you know, for Summit and Regency. And then Nicole also um, got Brad involved. And then the two of them got Doug involved. They met with two or three different directors. Yeah. And then Nicole had to drop out of the movie because she was shooting... Um, reshooting some movie that was taking forever. I can't remember what it was, um, and we were going to lose Brad. The beginnings of Ocean's Twelve, I think. And so, um, ultimately, Nicole dropped out, and um, Angelina jumped in, and obviously, many things um, were affected by that um, casting decision.
0: And are you, as so that's all happening, and you're watching? You know, I, I'm sure you're, it was all the beginning of all of our lives and careers. I don't, I remember so distinctly when we all ran into each other on an airplane. You were with Akiva and Lyman and going to do like the final reshoots. And I was with (laughs) Dave. And I remember like that was the first time you and I actually met in person. And I was like, oh, that's that kid, man, he looks like he's Fucking a hundred years old, because you guys were. <laughs> yeah. Because I looked at Akiva and I was like, "How's it going?" And he's like, "It's a fucking war, man. Like, <laughs> I, I, we're, we're we one more reshoot that we got to do." And yeah. you know, and I remember seeing you guys. It clearly you'd been up forever, and and yeah. um, you know, I know Doug because his cousin is my good friend. You know, Hamburg, but okay.
1: good buddy. Yeah, yeah I love I'm the yeah, me too.
0: And um, I just remember the seeing the three of you you know, I was tracking the movie in my head so closely. And but because of your, you know, uncle or whatever. And, uh, and I remember thinking, God, these guys read, but Akiva, you know, his positivity. And I remember it being like, we're in at the war. And I said, how is it? And he said, you know, it's going to be great. It's really mm-hmm. going to be great. And he pointed at you and the face with that kid is great. He's uh, the real totally. thing. Cause you've been working. He's, you know, I gathered that you'd done you know, he'd helped you on the script, you'd done all these things, and yet it was clear, and I thought it was lovely. Like he was just even within it, the war, the fog of war, he was like, This it's this guy's vision, which I thought was a really cool thing.
1: That that's amazingly cool. Um, and and honestly, that moment of my life, um, that that especially, I'm sure it was not our last reshoot. I think that's we, funny. We just kept telling ourselves that. Um, That moment of my life is such a blur that I don't even remember what you're, what what you're talking about. Like I literally, I I don't remember most of the reshoots. Right. Um, That's incredible. I don't remember where we could have been flying from to even. Um, Sure. Maybe you are at
0: a screening in New York, on the East coast uh, and coming back or leaving from a screening to go back to the
1: East coast. I have no idea nor recollection. I just, it was, it was a war. It was, and it wasn't a war against anyone. It just was Doug's process is, is chaotic um intentionally or otherwise and we had and it involves um you know there'd be three or four hours every morning where we would sit with brad and angelina and doug and akiva and talk about the scene we were shooting that day and whether it should be upside down and inside out or should be in the kitchen instead of the bathroom or maybe they should flip lines or i mean it was Uh, how did you keep your equilibrium through that Like what did you tell yourself, or
0: how? What did Akiva say to you? Or because I hold on, especially young in my career, I would have been holding on so tight. Now I would just get up and walk away, uh, or I'd be like, "Here's (laughs) how we're gonna." I mean, I would never sit through that. But how did you sort of like? What was your self talk? I guess.
1: Well, partly my self talk was really my talk from Akiva. Um, You know, and I, I really do think that you know. I was listening to I think I was listening to the I want to say David I have I I told you I'm I'm a big fan of this pod and and um I know it, I think it was David Cap um you had when he was talking about talent hard work and luck is that right? Was it David Cap? Sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and so Scott um, Franker, that sounds like Scott or David, one of those yeah, two guys. Scott's a close
0: friend. I love Scott. I love Scott. I love both those guys. Yeah. I don't know David. I am obviously
1: yeah. uh, worship at his altar, but um yes. but anyway, um uh, mentors are everything for me. And and I think you do need talent, hard work and luck and you I would add mentorship to that, though that could be obviously a sub subdivision of of luck. Um uh and so Kiva really helped me through and What I will also say is I, from, you know, in some ways, what we were talking about earlier from film school, I got bullet tested in film school because if my lack of, if my vision or confidence or whatever it is, um, voice got adulterated or got um, undermined by my peers, right? Which is like, Yes, Brad and Angelina and movie stars are, you know, intimidating, but like yeah, a room full of your peers is intimidating, too. Yes. When you're 22 years old.
0: And, and Brad's also delightful. I, I, I'd yeah. say like Brad is delightful. Like yeah. he is uh, first, you know, in his position. For
1: sure. As you oh, worked me. with
0: many, many actors, br- yeah. when br- Brad's manner is c- quite... Um, Encouraging, I would say, yeah. when he asks questions, there he's never or whatever in the interactions I've had with him, he's never been a dick. In no, no, s-
1: same, and and I and and I will say that Angelina was really respectful and really smart. And I just, so, don't, I don't know. I've only met yeah, no, Brad, so I'm
0: sure that's true, but I never worked with her. No, no, I, I
1: worked I, with Brad. So, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, I felt like me not saying mentioning her would be, of course, no, of course, of course. Yeah. So, um, but yes, he's, he's lovely. You and I've had the fortune of working with like Matt Damon's one of the great gentlemen, like partners ever. of, of all um, uh, movie stars. Yes. The anyway, point is I, I, to answer your question, really, I, from what, what I went into that movie because it was Nicole had notes and then John Woo and then there was a new drug, I just was like, I know what, and I, and I still hold on to this as a rule. Um, I know what I believe, I believe, to be um, uh, fundamental, fundamentally important to the movie, to the sequence, to the scene. And everything else is fungible. So is oh, there- It's really thought, key. Yeah. Is there a better articulation of that fundamental idea, that fundamental moment, that fundamental thing? I'm open to it, uh, you know? And, and, I, and I guess we all have to trust our ability enough that we can hold on to that core. Again, the core can be massive, like a theme, or the core can be really micro, like a moment. Um, we have to trust ourselves, I guess, as writers enough to um, believe that we can write a different version while holding on to that. And so that's what I, every time we change the scene, every time we change the ending, every time, I was like, I know what this wants to feel like. I know what I'm trying to accomplish in the scene and I can take different routes to accomplish that. That, the, The route that's on the page right now is just what I wrote two weeks ago, two years ago, whatever it was.
0: Well, this gets us to, I think, you know, it's funny, earlier when you said the things that you've done the best have a core of what matters to you personally. Mm -hmm. And even hearing you articulate what you just did, I'm, of course, thinking of Sherlock Holmes, because Mm -hmm. it obviously, like, the relationship between Holmes and Watson is all about this. Yeah. And I think in many ways, like, none of us like to think our best movie is something we did a little while ago, but one could argue that Sherlock Holmes is, like, you know, the best your best movie, or maybe it's the one that just moves me. You know, I find that movie succeeds on every level. It's like this incredible high achievement artistically and obviously was the biggest, this gigantic commercial juggernaut. Um, And so I wonder, can you talk a little bit about how that came to be, you know? uh, and, and whether I'm, I'm right in that it is a personal movie to you, because it feels it, it, like
1: it must be. It, it definitely is. You know, that movie, I will say I came on to rewrite, um, like I'm sure you've done a lot and we do in our career. And that was a time in my life and my career was where I was doing a lot of production rewrites. Um, uh, but most
0: or, of the time, one doesn't get credit on a production
1: rewriting. No, 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 Clearly, no, no. That's I, identified I, I,
0: heavily with you, that movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it, it, and, and I, I invested an immense amount of both time and myself into it. Um, I feel that. And I, yeah, I definitely feel my voice in the movie, though there are a lot of other voices, obviously. Um, uh, what what interested me about it, because um, I grew up reading Sherlock Holmes and liking the books a lot, and I like sort of puzzle um, stories, uh, just as JJ does. Um, but I, I, you know, I think puzzle stories when they just are on, especially in film, and television, they work. You can watch CSI or you can watch a procedural. And in, in movies, you really need emotion and, what interested me was two things about Sherlock: um, one, that he was aging; um, oh, and yeah. he was not in his prime, and that that really—I mean, even though Robert's fighting in that, and you know, um, he's not—you know—a thirty-year-old a um, stud. Yes. He's, I don't know what age Robert would have been there, but you know, he's on the other side of life in some ways. Um, but what re- but what I really connected with, and then I really ran with and like dug into was this notion that um, I looked at the Holmes Watson relationship um, as a love story. And yeah. I, it was, you were losing, it was, it was like almost like a romantic comedy or a romantic drama where the person that you've, your best friend is the person you've always been in love with and you've never had the courage to tell them that. And they are leaving you because they've actually found a, a partner that they're going to start a life with. And you don't know how to tell them that you love them because you have your own inner demons and struggles with love yes. and connection, um, and and um, and yet and yet at the same time you know that your life could collapse without them, and the desperation and the yearning of that, um, and this, and the emotional stakes of that makes complete sense. Yeah, it was like I was like that. This I know how to. I, like I know that feeling. I've had that experience in my life um i'm sure we all have had some version of it and i know how to write that um and the mechanics of the plot and all the other stuff we can figure out
0: but that's really fascinating because of the it seems to me like an emotional some it seems to me like in all, almost all of your movies there has to be some kind of an emotional core that it is even though they're they're they, like I you know i watched the new movie and it's so clear i mean I, I know Teresa, I guess, originated it, right? Was it your
1: idea originally or her? It was actually Jessica Chastain's idea. Um, she brought it to me. We hired Teresa to write it. Um, Teresa wrote really the vast majority um, of the script, though we all worked on the story with her. Um, and then I rewrote it um, uh, after her, primarily with and for the actresses. Right.
0: And tonally... Talk a little bit about, because I think this episode will come out. The movie will have come out a couple days ahead. Enough people will have seen it. We're not going to spoil anything. Mm -hmm. But I was really, I've given a lot of thought since watching it. And I'll do this a little bit like Penn and Teller on Fool Us, where I won't. I'll just talk (laughs) like professional to professional. Mm -hmm. You know, it was obvious to me that the ending had gone through many iterations Mm -hmm. of ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time you found the way you really wanted to tell the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, but and I'm sure there were a lot of conversations about the tonal shift. Yeah. And so was that idea, that tonal shift idea, the events that happened that propel the very final thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, talk a little bit about why you wanted to do that in telling this story. Why you felt it was necessary. To bring, I don't want to say stakes because to me it wasn't yeah. about raising the stakes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about, in a way, reminding people of what they're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but t- I, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, 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 I have to say, when watching the movie, I really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, since mm-hmm. then, I've come to like it more. That's cool. And uh, it was the one thing when I was like, all right, this was a lot of conversation and thought went into, and a lot of conversation after testing the movie. Like, mm-hmm. I know there was a lot of conversation about that four minutes. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that four minutes and why you wanted to keep it in the movie?
1: Yeah, I wanted to keep it in the movie because, um, you know, the thing that intrigued me the most about the film and the idea from the very beginning was doing it, obviously I like spy movies, and I, but I, I liked the idea of doing an ensemble Spy movie. It's just not done very often. I yes. the last one I can remember is Ronin, which was done very well, but that's a long, long time ago. And My favorite screenwriter
0: wrote that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin it Yeah, of course. Uh,
1: yeah. And w- so, what I what I felt the movie needed, I really felt this strongly, is that if you're going to build a team, um, they need to be really shattered at some point, point in order for for at by the end you'd feel like this wasn't just kind of like a fun romp of a bunch of people getting together and solving a case and you know kind of like bickering and bantering um but that they went through something together and that 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 sort of traumatic thing they went through together bonded them um and so it was that just i just fundamentally felt that about um And I do think it raises the emotional stakes though, obviously not the global stakes of the movie. Um, Right. And, and you're right. It is a tonal shift and it is dicey and it is, um, you know, some people liked it and some people were very, well,
0: yeah. Well, I wonder if you,
1: but different from in a
0: lot of your movies. And I'm thinking about like, you know, if I think about a movie like heist where, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I don't, I'm not going to worry listeners. If you haven't seen heist, I'm going to spoil something in the Mm -hmm. movie for you, but it's, 30 years old so yeah. sorry uh 20 years old that's on now. you know when ricky J dies in heist mm-hmm. the movie has in a way set you up for those stakes and 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 yeah there are deaths in movies like the pop you know like the movies where we're talking about that were the antecedents to yeah. what you do you know casablanca starts with a death you don't see coming and uh exactly you know what i mean and there are a couple of deaths along the way in casablanca that are kind of surprising yeah but were you concerned about the current movie going audience and breaking the compact with the audience by that scene happening yes as a writer as a crafts person
1: yeah yeah i i I, I was um i was concerned um and i do think that um now i'm going to sound like the people that were in my film school class um uh i do think that we live in a time where um, movies are somewhat sort of or, or, or cinema in general is somewhat binary um, and so it's like you're either going to the movies to be complete, for complete escapist entertainment and really not to be challenged or bummed out in any way or and that's you know and I love that cinema so that that, that, that didn't mean to sound condescending. I was saying i make the, I make those kind of movies um, uh, or you're going to a movie to like kind of challenge the way you see the world and, and like, you know, uh, show you real pain and make, pull you through that pain with it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I definitely was, um, uh, concerned, I guess, but I just, I, I guess I felt like, um, with this level of actor, right. Cause the actresses are so.
0: Lupita. It's, yeah. But, but in a weird way, Lupita's strength almost like makes my point. You know, in a way Lupita's yeah. incredible humanity yeah is almost the thing that you had to fight against to pull off the the movie from that moment on. Yeah. That was it right Be, because she's so amazing. Yeah. Um and you directed that sequence so beautifully.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it 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 was I don't I, I I I you know as like a showman which you are this consummate showman I'm sure you as a and it's interesting I guess what I'm getting at is like you as the artist which you right. are as the director I wonder if that put you in conflict with
1: the showman that you are as a producer mm-hmm. Sometimes um though I will say uh the 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 the, the instincts of my career for moments like that I mean, this is not a great example because everything's leading to it, and it's very clear from the very beginning that you're making the compact with well, Logan, right? That he's, I was going to say Wolverine and Logan. I was going to say yeah. that Logan, yeah. yeah, for sure.
0: Logan is absolutely, but
1: but Logan sets you. Logan, it, it, you're areas. right. No, no, you're right. It's it's the, it, 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 it. You you sign a contract at the beginning of that movie that it is a movie that's going to be about infirmity you, and death.
0: In 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 Logan, you sign a contract that I'm
1: I am in for the be- well.
0: It's all signaled right away. Right. You understand. You're going to be in for an incredible ride that's going to tear you apart. Like, it's yes. all the things. Yeah. That movie yeah. succeeds on the highest. Let I me, mean, you guys pulled something. Yeah, that was
1: really Jim. I mean, you went Jim right.
0: and Scott, Jim yeah. and Scott, and you did something incredible. Yeah. No doubt about it, full stop. But I did think that the thing is, um, there was no way that these choices were made without you knowing the results. And that's what's well, so fascinating. I I def- yes,
1: I definitely knew that it was a, I guess one could say, less um, escapist. Uh, choice within an escapist genre, which is the spy genre, right? Um, and it and it and it um, could potentially, you know, shatter the audience in the way that it shatters the characters/slash characters. Um, but I don't know. I just felt like uh, it was. I had these incredible actresses. Um, I yeah. wanted. I wanted. A, 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 you know, a really a pivot moment in the movie. And it's yes. a very hard pivot, like you say. Um, uh, and, and the hope is that uh, it, it makes you feel something more than usually these movies make you, the spy movies make you feel, right? Like in your gut. They definitely, like, there's such, I love the the Bond movies were as influential for me as the Star Wars movies. Um, but uh, they. Yeah, you're talking
0: about these kind of spy movies that are in this certain escapist bandwidth because like le carré spy movies obviously have that i just thought that it was like a really compelling choice that you made and as as i say as such a sophisticated filmmaker you had to know that you were breaking a certain compact and then decide to proceed anyway yeah and was that a sensitive subject with the financiers or were they all on board the whole time
1: um they were they left us to our own devices i would say for the most part because the way we we, we this is not a traditionally made studio movie we went to can with the actresses and sold it
0: i know you got this incredible deal to make
1: yeah for the yeah, yeah. but i mean part of the incredible aspect of to me what's incredible about the deal because ultimately it's not like the, the, the budget of the movies probably significantly less than we probably would have had if we just went and pitched it with these actresses to studios around town, right, and made it as a straight up universal movie. Yes. Um, but the, what was incredible to me about it uh, was that we had complete creative freedom. I mean, literally complete creative freedom. You had final cut. Uh, beyond final cut. We, like, we didn't even, I don't think, have an, have an obligation to show a cut to anyone. <laughs> um, so we just right. deliver a movie within a certain uh, uh, you know, duration. Um, so, yeah, no, I, de- I definitely knew that that was, um, uh, a choice that was a dangerous choice. And yes. I guess there is a, there is a part of me at this point in my career and life, um, that, you know, is up for taking some dangerous shots. Um, yeah, but- I love that. That's cause you're an artist. I mean, that's what's fascinating
0: is that it was an, it, it's a truly artistic, it's the choice that an artist makes. And, mm. uh, but it's bold. And like I say, I think it, I, I think it is a, I don't know that if a screenwriter working for you as a producer wanted to do that, if you might not be like, are you sure you want to do that? Like you might ask that question. You know
1: what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think as a producer, I probably would have said, this might help you get an actress. Yes. But I would say, but this might also test badly and you're going to have to reshoot this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say when you said because
0: I know, like, you know, because we're both professionals, like yeah. I know what happened in the movie theater when you showed that the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And I know that all of your instincts must have been like, oh, because the other thing is I know you know how to fix it. Right. Like I know you know how if you wanted to, you could just this, you could just oh. build the planks to go right over it. Yeah. Change. I mean, I know you know how you could do it. So what was that gut check like, check like for you to not do that?
1: Um it was exciting. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I really do as much as there is, um, continuity through my work, I would say as a writer, producer, and as a director, um, I, I like there, there is, I think, um, you know, some variation too. I mean, of course, and, 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 and I like trying experimenting with new, um, types of movies and then with new types of moments within movies. Um, and, I felt like it made the movie stronger Um, and the actresses felt the same way. We're really partners on this movie with me. I mean, in in, in almost every way creatively. Um, And I watched the movie and I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's a really great scene. Um, And, uh, and I'm interested to see what follows. Uh, And that, I guess, really, I I think, I think ultimately that for me was the deciding factor and it is all, Often the deciding factor for me is like, if something works, it's the, all, all all the sort of the, the, the rubric or definition of that is, does it make me want to see what happens next? And that for me was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I just, you know, if, if I was in any way, um, sleepwalking as an audience through something this just woke me up and now i want to see what happens next. well
0: you know in your work with the actor, I mean, you point out how great these actors are um and uh you know they really are incredible and i mean jessica chastain is always just magnificent and yeah. incredible and even the first time i really noticed her was in al pacino's like art movie about uh the play that she was in and you know oh, i just think she's in, 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 incredible i
1: have a great jessica justine uh actress story sorry to tell it tell it I, we were casting a movie i was i was producing this movie elysium uh neil Blancamp, of course first movie i saw after.
0: the i was at the premiere
1: oh wow in
0: new york wow. i was at the new york premiere of that movie okay.
1: yeah, I was, yeah yeah it was, I was great like. um it's matt from Matt. you know from Matt. right right of course and um that's by the way how i how matt ended up in the martian is that matt and i became friends on elysium that's great and i sent him the script of the martian on um like a friday i, t- I emailed it to him and i was like i, I don't think i'd ever sent him a script before, since elysium and i was like i i know i don't want to i'm only doing this to my friends but i really this is like and i drew god wrote that script he wrote an extraordinary script i was like this is one of the best scripts i've ever read and i think it's perfect for you he read get, send him on a Friday on Sun and at the time Drew Goddard was going to direct it. We didn't, even have, a Ridley you didn't direct have Ridley. Have Ridley then, yeah, right. And 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 on Sunday morning, I got an email from Matt saying, "I love it. I'm in. When can I meet Drew?" Oh, that's awesome. So like that's So anyway, Elysium. Um, we were casting the female lead in that Jody. The part that Jody ended up playing. No, the or um, or, or that, um Alicia Braga ended up playing. Okay, yes. Um, I, I mean Jody's the yeah. I guess the female the lead too, but the villain and. Um, So the love interest for, for Matt, Um, the
0: mother of the kid. Yeah. yeah, Exactly.
1: Yes. And, and, um, we were just doing a lot. We had tons of people coming in and reading and Jessica was an unknown actress. Um, the help and that year that she exploded, um, hadn't happened yet. Um, and she came to the reading and I watched the tape reading. I wasn't there live and I have an email chain that I've showed Jessica since because it's an hour third movie together. Um, and, uh, and the, it, it started with, um, I think this, you should watch this woman, Jessica Chastain. I think she's the next Meryl Streep. Wow. That's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah. And then he wrote back, she's really great, but I don't want to cast the part white. Um, and I said, I totally, I'm 1000% behind that. Um, but given that I don't, we should stop, um, we should stop auditioning white actresses because we are not going to get a better white actress um, auditioning for this part. Uh, so if, you, if she doesn't convince you, if you are convinced after this, watching this audition, that you don't want to cast the part white, which I wholeheartedly support for lots of different reasons in that movie, and just generally re- good reason. Um, I was like, just stop auditioning white act. So I had this email chain um, that I then showed Jessica when we first worked together on Martian. Um, uh however many years later that was so oh, anyway. that's fair
0: I love those stories no those are the best moments that you had like this sort of you knew and then you found a way to be able to uh work with her that's yeah, that's super fun but you did get these amazing performances like Penelope hasn't been better in a long time and so w- just talk a little bit about what your philosophy is in terms of talking to actors and getting performance because you know it's a very that is the part of the job that's incredibly different from even the way you produce movies, which is mm-hmm. you're the person who, when you call cut, you got to go walk over there and talk through what it is that you need. Yeah. So, what's your sort of what are what are the foundational ideas you have? Well, you know, what what's interesting is things. when
1: you were ask, when you were asking me before about you know why I haven't why it took me so long to to want to direct. It's partly because I was doing a lot of directorial work as a writer and as a producer, and only in the sense of not in the sense of working with the camera or any of that, but but certainly in the sense of working with the actors. I worked, like I was saying, in Doug's workshop process with Brad and Angie on on Mr. Smith, on Down with Robert Downey. You know, I remember Robert and Guy Ritchie and I and Susan Downey and Lionel Whigam, the other producer on Sherlock Holmes. We all went and lived for a. I think it was like a week or two at Guy's country house and just right. we would rehearse scenes all day long. Um, and so I, I've worked really closely with, and on the X-Men movies, those people became my family. Um, of course. And we, we would change directors, obviously um, you know, a few times and I would kind of be the constant. And so I would be working really closely in there, even after cut in between takes with the actors. And, and that's ultimately what made me want to direct movies um, was that I really enjoyed the process with the, the actors and, and wondered what like an unfiltered um, version of that would be like. Um, uh, but my philosophy is actually not dis- that dissimilar from what Doug created, but just less chaotic, which is a really collaborative, um, really uh, open. And I think this comes from writing as well. Process where I'm, I'm a partner with the actor in creating the character, and you know, obviously casting is a huge part of that. And I've had the good fortune of working with extraordinary actors, um, not just on this, but also in the X Men movies. It's littered with Academy Award winning actors. Um, uh, but I, I'm very kind of like I was saying before about writing when when you, like you know what's fundamental in the scene or the moment or whatever. Um but you're open to finding it a different way. That is the way I work with actors. Um, I know the fundamental moments, emotions uh, I'm looking for, but it's not like it has to be a look in this direction or it has to sound. Oh yeah, right. You know, there's not a cadence to the way that I want it to come out of their mouths. Um, I like being happily surprised. There isn't like a, just do it once this way and then we can do one for you. It's really like, we're doing it together. So let's figure out what's the most honest, authentic way to present this moment. Even if in some of the work that I've done, you know, fucking, uh, you know, beams are coming out of your eyes in this moment, you know, you're turning into a, into a a furry beast. Um, you know, like how do we find to ground that in something real, um, or just like, you know, uh, identifiably emotional, um, that, you know, that you can draw on, uh, that, uh, that can, that can infuse this moment with some reality. That's awesome. Well, I'm gonna, uh,
0: we're getting to the end of our time. There was so much more I I wanted to talk to you about, but I have to say, man, you know, I've rooted for you for so long, even though you've been wildly, wildly successful the whole time. And it's so great to see you continuing to want to grow as an artist and not just kind of, you know, uh, rest on your success or only produce and that you're still actually like making work all the time. Um, and sort of uh, you're still taking this incredible talent that you have and are like grinding. And mm-hmm. I really admire someone who grinds like that. And I, I admire the fact that everyone who's ever worked with you that I've spoken to talks about how generous you are and how great you are to work with. So um, I hope that you're gonna, you know, do this for another 30 or 40 years or whatever. And um, congrats on the movie coming out. I will say, you know, we've both lived through it where people say great things and don't say great things. I have a feeling that people are gonna like 355 even more later. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I feel like, you know, obviously, it's gonna work commercially. But I hope you're riding through all this and feeling
1: good. Yeah, I honestly, I thank you for everything you just said. That's incredibly kind. And I really appreciate it. I really do. That means a lot. Um, uh, I don't tend to to ride the highs and the lows of the releases of movies. Um, It's like, I'll tell one last story. Do it. Which is, I was with Ridley Scott, and I asked him at some point what his favorite movie is that he'd ever made. Because obviously he's made some of the greats of all time. And he said, G.I. Jane. And I was like, I, I didn't know if he was being serious and, and he's like, well, it's his favorite movie because it was just a great time in his life. And he had a great time making the movie. And, and I, it, I think about that a lot because you make the thing, the movie, the show, whatever it is. Um, and then your part of that process is done. And obviously I want my work to be seen and I want it to be, uh, of course. liked and all that, but um it's just too dangerous to ride something you can't fully control and what you can control is the thing and when the thing gets out into the world the world could be the world we're living in right now is a pretty insane place obviously um but you know um I've had good luck I've had bad luck all those things out in the out in the out in the world um so yes I I um I I don't kind of ever read reviews um I obviously know what the box office is but I'm not even writing the like matinee you know uh information that the studio is giving you all that I'm like yeah that's
0: incredibly healthy I don't look at I don't really I I used to read every single thing that was ever written and I maybe I still read I still read the people that I care about what they're gonna say but I don't ever look at I don't ever look at like numbers. I don't care.
1: Yeah. And I, the, I will read the people I care about too, but I'll read them like two, three months later. <laughs> yeah. That
0: makes total sense. Well, congratulations. I think it's going to hey, be a great success. And, um, and it was great to get to spend this time with you, man. Yeah, when you too. Through, get in touch when you come through New York
1: next. I, I definitely will. We'll go to a Knicks game if, um, if, it's, if we can. If you do, exactly. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh,
0: everybody, Simon Kimberg, are you online anywhere that people can find you or do you not?
1: Yeah, I have have an Instagram account, Um, Simon David Kinberg at Instagram. That's really the only thing that I'm on. Great, so
0: you can find Simon there. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time. You can find me at Brand Kaufman or email me at the momentpk at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Thanks. Goodbye.